0: um okay so last week Dave talked about men right all things men men's purpose men's hurdles and then men's redemption so today I'm talking about all things women yay um I hear so much excitement in the room okay so our ideas of womanhood and femininity has changed (laughs) yes there's some cheering for the women okay um it has changed drastically over the years, right? I mean, kind of like night and day. Almost it's, sometimes it's almost hard to keep up with the cultural expectations of what you're supposed to be like as a woman if you are a woman in this room. Um, so what started off as women's rights and equality, which are all really good things, has been pushed almost to the other extreme where now gender roles can be somewhat equalized and neutralized and we're almost just these interchangeable parts of a machinery. Now, I'm not making political statements because women's rights and equality are a very good thing. But it's interesting if you stop and consider just how our views have changed in society over the years. So some of you may know uh, Faith Stafford. She was a former student here. Yes, she's amazing. So she went to Providence and she did a senior thesis paper on... Disney princesses and the effect and the messages that they give to not just girls, but also boys. And honestly, it was fascinating. Um, So in the paper, she went through this progression of the princesses and what we see. So our very first princesses, here, our very first princesses that came out, Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty. So these are all like dainty little things. They're like damsels in distress. They're helpless. They eat random fruit from creepy strangers, and they need a prince to save them. And then the next set of princesses that came out was Pocahontas, Jasmine, Ariel, and Mulan. They're all pushing the boundaries just slightly more. You know, they're like a little more independent. They run off. They sneak out. They change, like give up parts of them, like their voice, to get a guy and sneak away from her dad. And then Mulan straight up just acts like a guy and then dominates in the army. Um, Then the next set of princesses, are we got Elsa and Anna and um, Rapunzel, um, who don't even need a man to help them save the day. They are perfectly capable of doing it themselves. And the guy was just the bonus. Um, So you see the way that women have changed over the years and how they've been viewed and how that has. Changed. It almost feels like we're on this pendulum in life, right? Like either you're like this dainty helpless thing and you need a guy to save you, or you're over here and you're like Captain Marvel and like you're better than everyone, guys and girls, and you could take on Thanos with your eyes closed and like you don't need anyone. So like which one is it? Why do we have to be one of these extremes? Why do we have to choose? Why does it feel like men and women that we have to compete for this glory when we know that when you give glory to God, like that's where the joy and satisfaction comes in and not focusing on ourselves. So we're going to look at what God says about women. So I spoke a few weeks ago about marriage and men and women's roles and how our roles are complementary of each other, right? And so they're both of equal importance and value, but just different roles that God has set up and given us so that we can flourish, so it says in Genesis one that God created men and women in his image, so he said genesis one twenty eight be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we were created to have dominion over the earth, in other words, to take care of it so Dave defined last week men's role as the servant leader, right so he is has been put into a role of authority. And what that means is sacrificial living. So giving yourself up for the good of your spouse. So just as Christ died for his church, men are called to humbly serve and take care of his family the way he would his own body. So which brings glory and honor to God and not himself. So then it comes to the woman. Because in Genesis 2, we see that Adam is working in his role to take care of this earth like God has told him to and he cannot do it alone. So Genesis 2:20 says, "But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him." So he needed a helper to complete this task. And this is the first time in the Bible that God says something is not good. So in 2:18 it says, "It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him." So the man needed the woman in order to complete this picture, to carry out this role and task that God has given them for humankind to flourish the way that God intended. So first off, I want to camp out on the word helper, because when I hear the word help, I think of the movie The Help. Have y'all seen that movie? Um, it's all about racial discrimination. Um, and so while in decades ago, there were um, different colored skin, and women being treated like second-class citizen, and that was wrong. But we know from here that God does not see people that way. He created all men and women in his image. So he's not going to say that some of the people created in his image are less than. We are all created equal because we all have equal dignity and worth. And so if that's the case, then clearly we need to define this word helper because we're probably going to get it wrong on our own. So the word helper, in its original uh, form in Hebrew, the word is ezer, which means one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking. So that does not imply being stronger or weaker, nor a perfect clone, but it's a fit, a complement and a necessity to the one being helped. So almost every other time that the word helper is used in the Bible, it's actually describing God himself check it out. This is pretty cool. So Psalm 54, 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. John 14. Jesus is talking and says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Hebrews 13, 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So the word help in English sounds like you're just assisting someone who may or may not need help, but they're probably fine, right? But the word in Hebrew, the way it was originally intended, is so much more than that. it's it's implying this pivotal and important need. So there's an honor in being helper because it's associated with God, right? So it can't be inferior. Just as the Holy Spirit has a part to play within the Trinity, so does a wife have a part to play within a marriage, So the fact that the word helper is used to describe God and the Holy Spirit shows how essential that role is, not inadequate. And also when it says fit for him or suitable in some translations, that can mean opposite. So the strengths of one help the weaknesses of the other. So in other words, it's like this other piece of the puzzle that it's needed to just fit in and make the perfect picture. So there... To fill in what is lacking. So it's distinctly different enough to come together and make this divine image whole. So a helper is called to come alongside the one with primary responsibility. So it looks like selfless love, serving her family's needs, choosing to submit to her husband's direction, just as Christ modeled that for us himself. Just as it says in Ephesians 5 that we all submit to one another out of respect for Christ. So a helper is to be an encourager. John Piper says this, Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love, and I don't flourish in the relationship when you are passive, and I have to make sure the family works. So it's this willfully choosing to come alongside her husband as he's trying to lead, as you're both trying to submit to Christ's authority. So what it looks like for me simply is this. So um, the other day, my husband came up to me. My husband's name's Ben, if y'all haven't met him yet. Um, so he came up to me and said, I was just offered this job um, with this other company, but I think I'm going to turn it down. And the backstory is he was actually offered a job at the same company two years ago, and he turned it down because he didn't want to leave his other job in a bad place. Like it just wasn't the right time. And so, but for two years he's regretted that he couldn't move to this this company because his other job is like a ton of hours and a ton of stress. So it's just really hard on him and the family. So he's regretted it. And so he comes to me and he says, um, "I've been offered that job again, but I think I'm going to turn it down because I feel bad leaving my." current job. And so for me as the wife, I said, okay, you know, you, I trust you. So whatever you think is right for the family. But then I said, just remember how much you regretted not taking that job. So like I gave my input, right? I could have been like, that's dumb. What are you thinking? Like I wanted him to take the new job. I was like, but no, instead I respectfully was just like, okay, uh, whatever you think, just remember this. Here's my input. But also know, and I repeated it to him, that I trust you in whatever you think is right. Because I know his heart, and I know his heart for the family, and his heart for the Lord. And I know he's going to make the best decision. And I know he's going to do, choose the most selfless path because I trust him. And you know what? He ended up, he took my advice, and he's taking that job, and he's very, very excited. And he starts in like three weeks. Um, I know. That's not because of me. <laughs> but that's to me how it the husband wife relationship works. Like we think of submission and we think of like, them like lording things over you, but really it's coming to each other saying, this is what I'm thinking. And I say, okay, here is my input. Here's my different perspective I have to offer, but also I trust you and what you think is best for the family. And we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we both felt this was what's right. And he made that decision to do that. And so that's how I feel like it should work. And if a man is fulfilling his role as servant leader and he's laying down himself, then when it comes to the idea of submitting, it's not this archaic idea. You can take a step back and say, no, there's actually this freedom and fulfillment in coming alongside this man who has actually sacrificed everything for the good of me and my family. And I'm willing to step up and support him and help him whatever he needs to make move this family forward. Okay, so from here, we're going to jump to women's struggles now um, because these things not only affect your relationship in your marriage but also your relationship with friends and even just to yourself so last week dave mentioned common hurdles that guys face right so there was selfish passivity selfish aggressive aggression and some man code that y'all live by so for me women's struggles i actually had a hard time coming up with like two categories because I feel like we struggle with like a lot of different things. Is that just me? It's fine. But I came up with two categories that I think sum up um, what we struggle with most, and that is control and insecurity. And it wasn't supposed to look like that, but that's fine. Um, so control and insecurity. So first, we're just going to go back to the very, very beginning when sin first enters the world. And so I just want you to imagine with me, what is happening. So Adam and Eve, they're standing there staring at, you know, the very tree they're not supposed to touch, right? And Eve, Eve is talking to a snake. It's fine. Nobody's questioning why she's talking to a snake, but she is. And then the snake is starting to put all these questions in her head. And he's saying, did God really say you couldn't eat that? I mean, you know that if you eat that, you'll be like him, right? I guess God doesn't want you to be like him. Like, he just doesn't, like, trust you. And so he's putting all these doubts of God's integrity and God's intentions in her mind. And then what does she do? She eats the apple or the fruit, right? So she eats it because she has decided, okay, I don't trust that God knows what's better. I think I know what's better, and I'm going to take control of this, and I'm going to do it. And then who does she pass it to? It's not a trick question to Adam, who was doing what? Just standing there watching the whole thing happening, not saying in a single word. So here, right here, to me, sums up men and women's struggles from literally the beginning of time. You see the man standing there passive, um, not saying anything, even tries to pass the blame off on her. And then the woman, who is to blame just as much, maybe even more, says, I'm going to take control, and I think I know better than God. And so here we see it. And so then we see what God says to the woman as a result of sin. In Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. It's just unfortunate. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So out of this we see our two struggles, right? So because of brokenness and sin, we are not gonna be loving one another the way that we should the way that God intended. And because of that, out of that will come insecurity and a need to control the situation and try and battle for leadership in a relationship. So, first thing is insecurity. I think we see this play out most in our life through comparison. You know, like compare and despair. So we compare ourselves to just about everything and then we despair because in my our minds and even in reality we can't measure up to this standard that we have set comparison is the disordered desire for approval and validation so we want to be loved and accepted right who who doesn't but we don't we also are afraid of not being good enough but what is good enough what standard should we have we have so many voices coming at us every day telling us how we should be how you should dress, what new shoes you should wear, how your hair should be, uh, what the newest TikTok trend is that you should try, and are you brave enough and cool enough to do the dangerous lick? Please say no. Um, You should be skinny, but you know, not too skinny. I mean, we get all these things, and did you know that those princesses, like Ariel and Jasmine, that's not even physically possible on a human to be those dimensions. It's not. So even if we aren't being like outright told to be a certain way, we're still picking up on these messages everywhere, right? Because we see images everywhere that make us think, oh, I like that. I wish I was like that. Or I wish I had that. Or I wish I could do that. Um, So comparison really can only lead to coveting or jealousy or fantasizing. And comparison to me is one of the biggest problems with social media. I mean, depression, anxiety, loneliness, those have skyrocketed and I'm sure it's correlated to the amount of social media that we have been using because, I mean, it makes sense. If you're glued to your phone, then you're seeing all of these perfect pictures of your friends doing all these awesome things and achieving all these great great stuff or being at that party that you didn't get invited to and now you're seeing it play out in real time. Well, no wonder we second guess ourselves. But you know, it's okay if other people hang out. It's okay if other people are better at certain things than you are, but if it makes you anxious to see that, then stop looking. Let me tell you a secret. No one is going to post a really bad picture of themselves. I mean, have you seen, like, somebody post a selfie, and they're like, you know, they just threw up, or they, like, have hair wet, pajamas, they got, like, like, zit cream all over their face, and they're like, it's a great day. No, they don't post that because you post good pictures of yourself because you want to like flaunt something or show something off, right? You want to be like, what a great hair day because I just ran a 5k, you know, hashtag crushed it. You know, I challenge you to take a week off of social media and just see what a relief it is to not be faced with all these things that you should be better at. So Matt Chandler says, an untrue image of oneself." will always lead to discontentment and insecurity. Um, I found this secular talk show um, called What Women Want. And it's based in India, actually. And so they were talking about body image. And there's this one lady, um, Masaba Gupta, that was talking about body shaming. And this is what she said. And this is secular. It says, there are so many things that a woman has to deal with just in general. I feel like they should be told, come as you are, be as you are, and just celebrate that. So even the world agrees that this is an issue. Even the world agrees that we need to learn to be comfortable in our own skin and recognize this is a problem. And sadly for them, this is kind of as far as it goes, right? This is where it stops for them. Just telling yourself like, be confident, be okay with who you are. Like you're fine. Just don't try and be something that you're not, which is all good things. But for us, we have a much sweeter and better hope because God has told us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, not a mistake. And now we have a new identity. If you are a believer, you have a new identity in Christ, an identity in a Savior who is ever-present, ever-good, never never hateful, um, who has told us that we are his. And so now we don't have to try and seek validation from things around us because God has already made us his. And God did not make a mistake with you. The way that you are made, the personality you have, is exactly what God intended. God does not make mistakes. So instead of wishing to be something different, we have to learn to be comfortable with the way that God made us and the gifts that he has given us. And sure, we're all going to have, like, sin and different things in our lives that we have to set aside, right, that God has deemed not righteous, But you and yourself, you do not have to change for other people. We simply need to follow Christ. And Christ wants us to grow into his image and grow more into the person that he has created us to be. So the other thing that we struggle with is control. Uh, The need to feel in control. um, Honestly, I think it stems out of insecurity as well. But Feeling like we need to be in control of a situation, of your image, of your weight, of your looks, of your status, of maybe just your bedroom—like we just need to have like a space that's like we're in control of, right? Um, we all have something in our life that we feel like we have to maintain, um, and I think a lot of times the control can come out through our words because God has given us a real power with words, right? In um, James, he spends an entire chapter talking about taming your tongue because he said that you could set an entire forest on fire just from a few words. That's how much power we have. And you know, or maybe have even experienced that words can really build people up, right? But they can also tear people apart. So when you feel insecure or you feel like you need to control the narrative or control your image or you just straight up don't like that person, then what do you do? You put the negative focus on them and you tear them down through whatever it is, gossip, slander, lies, whatever it may be. Maybe you think it makes you feel better. Maybe it gives you an in with that people, the friend group. But Proverbs 21 says this, It is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Yikes. So it's literally better to live on top of the roof in the rain with the thunder and the lightning than share a room with (laughs) a wife that argues. Um... And I see that though, because think about the hard people in your life, the people it's just really hard to get along with. And it's usually because of their words, right? I mean, how hard is it to be around someone who is constantly criticizing you or putting you down or someone you can't trust not to go and tell everyone else your secrets? Um, But bringing people down never makes you feel better. Instead, we should consider what Proverbs 31 says about a woman who fears the Lord. It says she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So we can have a real power to build up people and point people to Christ through our words. Then the other way that I see control come out is through perfectionism. So this is something, honestly, that I actually struggle with, and I didn't think I did. But the other day somebody asked me, um, is there anything in my life that feels out of balance? And my answer was my entire life feels out of balance actually. Um, And I realized that's because for me, I am like a goal maker and a list, list maker. Are any of you list makers? Yes, I love, I cannot function without a list. But for me, in my mind, I have all these things that I want to get done, and then I feel like I'm failing if I don't get it done because whoever gets everything on their to-do list done, and don't you dare tell me if you are one of those people. Um, but I never feel good enough. Like, I, never, I I've never feel good enough in my parenting or with goals that I have at my house or in ministry. Um, but you know what? Like, that's okay. I'm, I'm not enough because God is enough. And we put so much weight on ourselves that it's just not possible to hold up to it. But you know what? God doesn't love this just this future version of yourself that you feel like you have to work really hard to get to. God loved us at our worst, right? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So he already loved us. So there's no point in setting this impossible standard for yourself because how can you possibly achieve Full happiness or feel lovely or be at peace if perfection is your standard. Did you know that 80% of people who have an eating disorder are women? Because it can be too easy to fixate on this ideal image of what you think you should look like, that we get sucked into doing whatever it takes and ha- control whatever you can to make that happen, regardless of the health of your body or your mental state. But I love, I love, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, or 2 Corinthians 12. says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, Right before this, Paul is talking about this thorn in his side, right? Something that is just, it's a struggle for him. And he has asked God three times to take it away, and God has not taken it away. But God did tell him that my grace is sufficient for you, because that's just it. God is enough. Through our weaknesses, he shines. It is no longer about us and our accomplishments and what we have done, but it is about him. And I love what he says, I am content with weaknesses. I mean, contentment. That's that's a tough one, right? But we can be content with the way that God has made us, and we can be content when we're in the middle of a trial or a really hard time, because we have something better that we're looking forward to. We have a joy and a hope in this future with Christ, and knowing our faith will only grow stronger when we're placed in these situations, that we have to rely on the Lord and not our own strength. In Philippians, Paul says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. We are not there yet. And also, we don't have the ability or the control to bring it there, to get everything right. We cannot reach perfection, but we can pursue a Savior who does the sanctifying work in our life and who is growing us more into his image every day. So we cannot forget how powerful God is. You can't forget that and what we are capable through him and only him. So it can be exhausting trying to (coughs) control your image or your identity or constantly be worried about what people are perceiving you as um, or just trying to be the best. Believe me, I know and I have failed every time. And it is exhausting when I try and rely on my own strength or my own abilities but this is where Jesus enters this space because he is the one who does the work in our life. Hebrews 12 1 through 2 says this therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God so it says in here that there's this great cloud of witnesses. So if you claim to follow Christ, then you are representing Christ, and people watch just like you watch them. So our actions send a message about what we believe. So how are you going to show the world Christ? How are you going to use your gifts and talents to honor God, and not for personal gain or perfection, but maybe honor God through our weaknesses? How are you going to use your words to build up others and honor God? How do you honor God and others with the way that we dress or the actions that you make? You think about modesty and you think, oh, well, that's on them. Like, they shouldn't lust. They shouldn't look. Sure. But at the same time, we are called to honor God and we are called to build each other up in Christ. And so if we are to honor God with our soul, our mind, our body, then we have to set each other up for success. Be each other's advocate. Push them to Christ, not to stumble we honor God by respecting one another, not tearing them down, not making them stumble, not making them question their worth, but instead pushing them to see the joy that we have in a Savior who has given up literally everything for you. <clears throat> so it says we need to lay aside the weight, as in the sin that holds us back. So what is it for you that is important in your life? And what what matters to you? And is has that become ultimate to you? Has that become the most important thing? Because will you really be happy if you reach perfection, or if you look better than that other person that one time, or if you get more, the most likes on this one post? Is that really what's going to do it? Because focusing on self and others' approval will only ever let you down. So we need to set our sights on Jesus, the founder, and check it out, the perfecter of our faith because whatever is ultimate in our life is going to rule over us, right? We will be slaves. The Bible says you are slaves to that sin, whatever is ultimate in your life. But Jesus Christ on the work on the cross took you out of that slavery. He has bought us with a price. We did nothing, and Jesus did everything. And so now in Galatians 2, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we need to embrace this new freedom that we have through Christ and recognize it is not about us or how good we look or how good we do. It is about God and Christ and what he has done for us. I'm going to pray and then we'll break out. Heavenly Father, we just, we praise you, Lord. We praise you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you have made that known to us, Lord, that you loved us as we are now, as we have been in our present, and as we will be in the future, Lord, because it's all you and what your Son did on the cross, Lord. And we just praise you for that, and that takes the burden off, and I pray that we will let that come off, Lord. Let the the falseness come off, Lord, and we can just be real and broken and honest together, um, and we will just pursue you and our identity in you. In Jesus' name, amen.